all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you've got to get them off welfare. Well, I may be a simple country lawyer, but I do reckon you've stumbled across the best god-darn socialist car podcast this side of the Mississippi. With your hosts, Bryant, Connor, Brandon, and Zach. How y'all doing today, boys? <laughs> Pretty good, <Jeez>. you? <laughs> I almost couldn't keep it together as you started. <laughs> oh, that... They- there, there he goes. That was a simple country lawyer. He just dropped in to intro the show for us. Thanks a lot, simple country lawyer. <laughs> bye bye now. But uh, I don't know. I'm doing good. How's everybody else? All right. Doing well. Meh. So uh, we're going to continue our discussion of unsafe at any speed on this episode. I don't think there's any more court transcripts, so I'm I'm not sure if Simple Country Lawyer will be back, but um, we'll we'll have some some interesting reading for you for y'all today. But I guess we're gonna start off with some some uh, car updates, and I think I want to say it's Zach's turn. Uh, does that sound right? Yeah, I feel like we haven't done reverse order in a while, so so yeah, I think it's me. Yeah, um, biggest update that I have for y'all is that I sold that fucking Lexus, finally. Uh, made a little bit of money off of it, uh, which is not hard to do on a free car. <laughs> but after like 700 bucks into it, I made three grand. So, wow. That's yeah. pretty damn good come up. Yeah, yeah, 2300 bucks in profit for, I mean, what honestly turned out to not be all that much work. Uh, it was mostly just painting the ass shit. Uh, I did learn that knock sensors on, uh, whatever Toyota V6 that is like a three MZ FE or something like that are underneath the intake manifold. Ooh. So yeah, that was, that was a huge pain in the ass that I had to take care of. Um, I actually think that's but, a pretty common place for, uh, knock sensors, uh, is yeah, it? yeah, I think. I guess so. that makes sense for a V type engine. Yeah, mine, yeah. mine are under the intake. Really? Well, I mean, under the, um, I forget where they are. I think they're on. Yeah, I think they're under the like lower intake in my like. It's yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I had this thing stripped all the way back, like looking down into the heads. By the time I could get to the knock Jesus, sensors, yeah, yeah. It, which just brings me to the question: What the fuck is a knock sensor? <laughs> <laughs> It's this really new tech that they came up with in like the 1980s. What the fuck <laughs> are the 1980s? <laughs> uh, oh, you haven't experienced Reagan yet. Oh, man. <laughs> I envy you so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget. I don't know how they actually work, but I think it just detects like slightly different vibrations that are indications of, you know, pre-ignition or detonation yeah, or whatever I, I think it's just like a it's like a piezo microphone basically yeah so, and it just pulls yeah, timing. exactly it's magic yeah it pulls yeah, timing you guys when, said. when you have a problem it's like oh yeah uh, don't advance it so much 
Yeah. Makes your car run like shit if it detects anything, though. Yeah. Yeah, those things were unhappy. I honestly, I don't think it was like anything. It might have just been the wiring that was bad on them, but whatever. I was in there, so I replaced them both and the, you know, little pigtail harness that attached to them because the car ran fine. Like it just, it was just throwing a knock code. Hmm, And like people tend to not be super happy when there's check engine lights on cars that they're trying to buy from you. So (laughs) yeah, but, uh, sold that yesterday. Um, no other big updates on my end. I don't think Cobra's still chilling, waiting, need to probably tackle the Audi and the Ranger. Just get rid of both of those and free up some funds before I really dive headfirst into that. But I think I got a pretty good plan laid out for that one. So should be getting going on that here in the next couple months. Yeah, I think that's it for me. Now, don't you need a pickup truck for work, though? I mean, technically, yeah. I've been using my Subaru, though. Like, since the last time my Ranger started shitting out on me, I just parked it and I haven't been driving it. So it's not like it makes any difference uh, if I sell the Ranger because I'm not fucking using it right now. But I do plan on probably putting some money towards a pickup. I really, really don't want to sell my Subi though. So I think I'll probably wait. It should be paid off like early next year. I think I'm like five or six months away from having it paid off. So once it's paid off, I'll probably put whatever money I get out of the Ranger and the Audi, if I can get those done and sold in that time towards maybe a used one, maybe a Ford Maverick. If I can find one anywhere, they're just so fucking hard to get my hand. Like no one has been able to get their hands on one. My brother-in-law has been trying to get one for like six months. He hasn't been able to get one. No one has them in stock. The used ones are going for like 20% over MSRP. It's just fucking annoying, but it's just occurred yeah. to me that like new cars are basically what like bought, trying to buy a fucking cheap 240 was like five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember it was the same thing where I'm like refreshing fucking Craigslist. And then as soon as an, a thing pops up, I'm like calling a motherfucker. And they're like, oh, dude, I got five people coming to see it in the next 15 minutes. But if you get it, like, that's what it's like <laughs> to get a fucking a newer car now. Yeah. Jeez. But like, I mean, I don't know. You guys can uh, give me your thoughts. I I think a newer car might be a better financial decision than an old 240. I keep thinking that, but I don't know. I mean, they're going up in price so much. It's like, damn, if you would have got one five years ago, you'd probably be balling now. To be honest, if you got any car five years ago, it's worth a lot more now. (laughs) That's true. it's, It's true for everyone, so. That's true. Two forties seem to be they are their own though. Outrageous, yeah, they are crazy. Clapped out four cylinder ones are going for over ten grand. So yeah, oh yeah, it's pretty absurd. Yep, and I still but, want yeah. one. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, everyone wants one. There, it's a fucking two forty. I mean, <laughs> I'm I think good. people that don't. Well, I was about to say, I think people that don't even care about JDM cars want a 240, but thank you for proving me wrong immediately. <laughs> no, 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 no. If Brandon drove one and like got one to get the rear end to kick out a little bit, Brandon would be a 240 guy immediately. I know it. He can deny yeah. it, but Brandon would be a 240 guy. I feel like 
and correct me if I'm wrong, that my knees are going to be up around my ears if I get in that car. No, they shouldn't be. They're, they're surprisingly so roomy. Yeah, they're very roomy. Okay. They basically don't have a back seat, so you can slide that seat back like, yeah. behind the B pillar. A good one. Yeah, they're they're so. they're roomy. They're simple. Yeah, not a lot of bullshit. Yeah, you know, except for some rust here and there. But um, yeah, Brandon, I bet you'd like them actually. Ah, uh, maybe. Brandon, if I can change your mind, there is someone who um, raced a 240 at Bonneville that put a Ford Flathead V8 in one. <laughs> I basically just to to get a more aerodynamic car to beat the Flathead record. <laughs> I love and hate that. Uh, i think that's pretty fucking cool honestly that's the the weirdest swap i've ever heard and i've (laughs) i've watched like youtube videos on weirdest swaps i mean there was a time though there was a time though where like 240 chassis were like everywhere and dirt fucking cheap yep yeah they're they're relatively aerodynamic chassis so if like the only record you're trying to beat is flathead V8. You might as well find the most aerodynamic chassis that you can for a reasonable price. And for a time, that was a 240. Like, not anymore. Obviously, they're fucking 50 grand now. But yeah, that was a real like cheap aerodynamic car for for a minute there. There's also someone uh, that raises lemons with. I think it's a fourth gen Camaro that has a like 1930 something Dodge flathead straight six in it, man, you know, fourth gen Camaros would make good, would be like well within the spirit of a lemons car, even at in pristine condition. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those things were shit boxes from the factory. So I know all about it (laughs) way too much. So yeah, trust me, my, my fucking, my car would fit right into lemons and it would be just as unreliable as every other car there. Maybe you should put a uh, Dodge flathead straight six in it. Uh, it might make it a little too reliable. Then it would be defeating the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> oh, um, also Zach, I, I think, you know, instead of a Subaru and a pickup, you should have a Baja. I, have tried to convince my boss that a Baja is a pickup so many times. And he's like, no, it doesn't count, man. You need a pickup truck to work. Please get a pickup. I'm like, a Baja is a pickup though. It's like, it It is is. like objectively. There's no, yeah, there's no question about that. What is he talking about? He's a boss. He gets to make rules. So your boss gets to decide what car you fucking drive. I hate this. I hate this so much. I mean, I drive my Subaru every day. What's that? Do vans count as trucks? Uh, I mean, I don't know. A couple guys that I work with do have vans and they seem to be okay with that, but the work, I mean, yeah, the van is a better work vehicle than a pickup almost in every case. I think the big issue comes with like long material. That's where I run. Oh, don't trust me. Just don't have the back doors closed. It's fine. Yeah. Um, That's not even a joke. That's literally what you do is just don't close the back doors. Yeah. But you, you still have to go like straight vertically and at a certain point, like, over 12 feet it does kind of start to become an issue but if you have a headache rack on a truck you can just put the ass end against the tailgate and then go up over the cab and it just works a little better i mean don't get me wrong i would much rather have a van than a pickup honestly for work because then i could make little slide out drawers 
yeah. in the back of the van and have like a nice little camper van set up that could be easily swapped from like work mode to camp mode. And I think that's rad as hell. But I don't think that they're going to say that it qualifies because they won't even say that a fucking Baja qualifies and it has a bed. It's a fucking pickup truck. I think they should provide you a fucking vehicle. I, I think this is outrageous. Oh, yeah. You, know I what? Mean, you should spend thousands of dollars of your own money to buy a car that specifically you only need for this job. Fuck. Oh, my God. Fuck these people. The, here's the thing. I drive my Subaru every day and it's like, it's fine. It's I fine. So then what make it work about. But yeah, they just want me to have a pickup. They, it's like it's a really big deal. Like, you know, everyone will take you more seriously and you'll like when you go to ask for raises, the big boss will be more inclined to give you more money if he knows you no, have they a pickup. Won't. No, they won't. They're lying. They're lying. You, oh, yeah. <laughs> they're lying to you. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. Just, you know, I yeah, I wish I had a different car for my job, too, just because uh, I scrape on every fucking speed hump in the city. And that's not fun. But like, yeah. my shit works. It works. Yeah. And that's honestly the biggest thing for me is I want to quit putting miles on my Subaru. Like, mm. It just broke 170,000 and like, I just don't want to drive it every day anymore. Yeah. I like it a lot and I want to keep it for a really long time, but it's kind of getting close to that point where it's going to leave me holding the bag, so to speak, where like, I'm not going to be able to hang on to it because something's going to catastrophically fail and then I'll be out of vehicle and I'll need to sell it for whatever I can get out of it just to get money for a working vehicle yeah. but if i get a truck now i can set it aside and keep it going and you know think about putting money towards a built motor or a you know a sti yeah. six-speed swap or something like that in case something does happen that's, that's my biggest thing i mean of course my job's like yeah get a truck get a truck get a truck we need you to get a truck spend all this money on a truck even though trucks are up 50 percent in price for no goddamn they already, reason. They were already outrageous. They've been outrageous yeah. for years. I, I've looked at trucks for as long as I've had a license. I look at trucks. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not spending ten grand on a vehicle with two hundred fifty thousand miles. I'm just not going to do it. No, yeah. I can't even that's, imagine what they are now. <laughs> that's literally why I want a, a Maverick so bad. Like I've said it before. I will say it again. Forty miles per gallon, and they start at nineteen grand. Like yeah, that right there is enough. For me. Now, is your boss going to say that's not a real truck? He can suck my dick if he says that <laughs> shit. <laughs> he can kick fucking rocks. I will. Yeah, I'll quit on the spot. <laughs> I, I think your boss is in the in the pocket of big truck or something. He <laughs> must be. He must be. He has a Tacoma, though. And apparently oh. that counts. And his his previous Hold on. Truck... Tacomas are great trucks. I'm not going to stand for no fucking Tacoma. Oh, no. Here. I, I, I love a Tacoma. Don't get me wrong. I love a Tacoma, but they're not a big truck. They're not like a work truck. Like oh, a they're a work truck. More super than duty. No, that's not a work like... truck. That's a glam. That's a glamour <laughs> fucking mobile. That's fucking bullshit. No, 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 no. No, no it's no. like that's six like the... bed is what I'm saying. Like, like if he's like... gonna fucking split hairs over a Baja, he, all he's got is a Tacoma. And previously, he had like an early uh, Ranger that was a two wheel drive. The thing couldn't you know fucking what? move in the snow, and he wants to talk shit about me having Zach, a Baja. If you can't, like, get if you here, cannot bro. get a fucking Maverick, get a Baja. Fuck him, fuck him, and yeah. be like, "Yo, dude, it's a truck." No, it's not. Well, <laughs> I have it. Say something. I mean, is, is would you like me to bring the fucking the, the WRX back? Oh no, this is better. Oh, okay. Well, then I guess it's better. Fuck that guy. Uh, That's a truck. That's a truck. <laughs> I I appreciate it, Connor. I think. 
I think you're right. If I can't get the Maverick, fuck him. It's Baja time. Yeah. It's a truck. You're like, yo, dude, it functions. If you looked at prices lately, it's hard to get a truck. Baja, I can get. Done. <laughs> and like, yeah, I could always be like, you know, I know Subarus. I can keep it reliable. I can keep it running. It's what I'm familiar with. Oh, we can make this happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. We, That's, we've got. There you go. You got we've it. got rhetorical ammunition here. Or hear me out. Take the bed off the Ranger and put it on a Baja. Or, or even better, put it on your WRX. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, yeah, where is the line here? Can I tow a trailer behind my WRX <laughs> for work? Like, yes. Yes, you can. And you can get those from, like, U-Haul. Like, just exactly. the days you need to haul some shit, get a U-Haul trailer. Exactly. Yeah, they're weird about having a truck. I fuck their rules. I'm I'm either getting a ball or they can fuck off. I, this conversation is turning me into a truck anarchist. <laughs> what isn't a truck? Yeah. <laughs> is a bike with a little trailer behind it a truck? <laughs> I mean, in a way, cargo bikes. This is like our discussion of like what is a sandwich or a hot dog or whatever. Well, yeah, now, yeah. hold on. So now that we're thinking about it, I'm starting to think that the 350Z is a truck. Now, hear me out. There's no back seat, like many pickup trucks. And if you mm-hmm. just don't close the hatch all the way, that whole area is a cargo area that is shaped very much like a truck bed. I think that's Boom. a truck. 350Z is a truck. You know, I'm thinking my MR2 is a truck because it's got a large flat area in the back. And I've like used it to move like flat pack furniture. I just ratchet strapped it on that's top truck. of the engine that's you know. a truck yeah I, i'm not even like taking the piss here would an el camino be a truck oh, according to your that's boss truck. <laughs> i don't know according to him if it would or not but it's gotta be right like that's a truck yeah it's the mullet of trucks but it still counts it's a it's a truck that's low but does he need did he give you specifications for ground clearance I don't think not, so. Not that I'm aware of, no. Yeah, that's a truck. That is a yeah. truck. So also, you could try and find an El Camino. That is also a possibility. I mean, or a Ranchero. What, what about a Rampage? A what? A Dodge Rampage. Did Dodge make like an El Camino Ranchero thing as well? It, yeah. was, it was the Rampage, but it was much smaller. It, I think it only came with a four-cylinder option. Yeah, it was like a front-wheel drive. I think it was based off of a Simca or something. What? Or like a, uh, a friend of mine had one and supposedly, like, from a carbureted four-banger, got, like, close to 40 miles to a gallon. What? Oh, my God. It was close to 30, but it was a lot compared to what I'm used to. Yeah, it's like a Dodge Omni, basically, with a truck bed on it or something. This thing is so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Hold on. I had no like idea. This fox, hold on. It looks like a fox body with um with a truck bed. It does look like a fox body. It's so weird. I love it. I had never heard of these things before. Yeah, what the fuck? They actually kind of look like an old Subaru brat. A yeah, little they bit. Do. Yeah. Not That's so much on the front too. end, but oh yeah, the brat's a truck for sure. If the it's... Baja's a truck, then the brat's a truck, no doubt. The brat's a truck, the Baja's a truck. The Rampage is a truck. Ranchero is a truck. And El Camino is a truck. You've got a lot of trucks to choose from here, Zach. <laughs> I 
I'm pretty sure if I rolled up in like a 69 El Camino and was like, hey, boss, I got a truck, I'd get fired on the spot. That's just because no one has ever showed up in a 69 El Camino to a job site sober. <laughs> that is absolutely true. <laughs> Like three ninety six big block in that motherfucker, and you were just yeah. hammered. If you if you have one of those, it's mandatory to do burnouts whenever oh, yeah. you leave. For sure. Has anyone else in the group been written up for that? Have I? I said. I said. Anyone has anyone here been written up at a job for doing burnouts in the parking lot? No, no. Yes, I have. But <laughs> But I have had instances where I was genuinely nervous that police would come into the building and ask who the fuck drives the black 350Z parked in the lot. So I had a few post calls during the workday. I'm just saying there were times where I was genuinely like, okay, I need to be a little bit scared because cops did see me. I, I, at my la- at the machine shop job, there was one time I was supposed to get written up for doing burnouts in the parking lot. Like the owner's wife talked to my boss and was like, you need to discipline him. <laughs> and the only reason we didn't was because he was off on Monday. So by the time he got back to work, he'd completely forgotten about it. Nice. Fucking, fucking awesome. awesome. But at my very yeah. first job, I also got written up for doing burnouts in the parking lot. <laughs> you are the meme then. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've never owned a car that would do burnouts on dry pavement, so I don't know. I the only car that I have that would be powerful enough is also all-wheel drive, so I don't. Well, I don't know. Maybe if I really like rev it up and sidestep the clutch, I could, but I don't. I don't want to do that. Don't do it. In all fairness, I actually like did burnouts all the time at work. It was that was just the day I almost hit someone. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that'll generally do it. And it was the owner's wife. <laughs> oh, shit. oh, man, I kind of wish he had done it then. <laughs> Me too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, not, I'm not big on burnouts, but I, you know, obviously, you know, donuts and drifting, whatever. A little bit different, but that's what I'm saving my tires for usually. Death to all tires. Indeed. Got to kill them all. T- tires get the wall. <laughs> More the ground, but yeah. Clearly, you and I drive differently. (laughs) Bro, if you're doing burnouts on a wall, then (laughs) I don't even know what to say. Shit. Let's hang out. I'll I'll figure it out. I want to hang out anyway. Right? Yeah. I mean, either way, we should hang out, but I'll book a plane ticket tomorrow. (laughs) Um, I guess that means me yeah sure connor what do you got doing reverse order yeah yep all right um not uh, not terribly too much i'm trying to get to a drift event but it's been hard so i've got a bunch of problems with the z of course uh you know nothing nothing new there but last weekend i was working on it and i was able to get a little bit done so uh, the most important thing I did last week was I, I was checking my headlights because uh, my driver's side headlight is out. So I switched the bulbs to see, you know, what would happen if I switched the bulbs. This is how I determine if it's actually just the bulb or the ballast for the HIDs. 
So in this case, I switched the bulbs, and when I turned the lights on, the same light was working. So that means that the ballast is out, which is probably going out because I replaced it with a used ballast uh, a few years ago. Um, so it's probably just kind of had its life out of it. Um, but also my inner wheel well is uh, the plastic bits are eroding away in very for various reasons, mostly because my tires are you know too big and whatnot. So um it's getting water up in there, I think, and uh, screwing my shit up. So that's not great, but uh, I'm supposed to... I've, I was supposed to call the junkyard, well, every day last week, but I forgot every single day last week. <laughs> um, so I'm going to get a, I'm gonna get a new, a used one again. I'm going to try and get two this time, just in case, because um, I looked up at the parts store that I unfortunately work at and I looked it up and it was like $272 new. And I think I paid $45 for the last one used. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to roll the dice and get a used one again. If I can, <laughs> I I don't think I'm going to have that fixed before I get a chance to actually drift the car. And a lot of, and the drift events I'd be doing are at night um, but I think I'm just going to send it anyway with one headlight because I'm pretty sure that's not one of the tech requirements that you have to have two working lights. So, uh, yeah, it's just going to be a little bit sketchy. That's all. Um, so I at least determined the problem, I guess. So that's good. Uh, and then the other thing I was working on last weekend was raising the uh, ride height in the front because uh, I'm too low to run the wheel spacers because I rub really bad if I hit a bump. And also my coilovers were adjusted so that the ride height was different in the passenger and driver side, um, <laughs> which I just kind of got used to. But uh, yeah, so that's, I corrected that. And of course that did affect my alignment a little bit, but whatever. So I was able to raise up the driver's side, which was the side that was lower so I raised that up um, quite a bit. I think I raised it up like like a half an inch or something, although it seemed like when I put everything back together, it seemed like it really didn't raise up that much. But um, I raised it up quite a bit. The other side, unfortunately, uh, was stuck. So I couldn't move it at all. No matter what I tried to do, I just could not get the thing to budge. So... Um, I soaked it with a lot of penetrating oil, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully next time I go to do it, it'll move, maybe, if I'm lucky. Um, but I couldn't quite get any of my cheater bars to work with the... Um, they weren't wide enough for the coilover wrenches, so I did stop at Home Depot uh, the other day, um, and I got a couple short but also thick like pipe nipples. So one of them's like an inch and a half thick. Uh, and that should fit inside the wheel well and give me a little extra torque on it. Uh, so that and the penetrating oil hopefully will be enough to raise up that side as well. Come um, on, you're saying nipples and penetrating in like one <laughs> dialogue and I'm just supposed to be quiet over here. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I guess. <laughs> you don't have to be, but yes. Um so 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try and I, I'm going to try and raise the height a little bit more when I get to the track, I think, because if I can, I'm going to do it next Friday night. So I'm not going to have any more time to uh, work on shit. But uh, what I've determined is I can't drive normally on the wheel spacers because like it drives fine until I hit a bump. And then like I hear it hit the fucking fenders and it sounds really awful and I don't like it. Um, so what I think I'm going to try and do is get to the track. I'm going to try and put my, the rear wheels that I'm going to be drifting on, you know, the night before drive to the track. And then, so hopefully I won't have to do anything with the rear wheels, but I will take the fronts off, put the wheel spacers on and get run it just at the track. And hopefully I won't transfer, have enough of a weight transfer to, uh, have a problem, but you know, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, while I'm there, I, I suppose I'll bring, uh, the coilover wrenches as well and try and, uh, see if I can get that other side to go up a little bit. So that would be good. Um, mostly just cause I would like to get a little seat time before the end of the year. Like I'm very out of practice and I would like to be at a point where I can like get some practice in the over the winter but like safely Uh, in order to do that i do need to have like a little bit of seat time at the track um that way next season i could do a little bit better so and who knows i hopefully will eventually figure out my tuning issues Uh, i found another shop in the area that happens to have a pro license for tuning so i might try and give them a call Uh, i was supposed to do that last week but once again like a well just like calling the junkyard I forgot every single day. So I'm going to do it tomorrow. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, but that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, it's just like fucking around with the coilovers and wheel spacers and the headlights and shit. Yeah. So it's pretty much all I got. Oh, also, I mean, just it's a funny anecdote. Um, I was working at the parts store yesterday and I had this fucking this dipshit guy come in which I guess I'm just going to include ranting about customers as part of my car updates. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is, this will be good. No. So this guy comes in and he's like looking for all this shit for his like brand new Ford Raptor, which if you're not familiar is like their super truck. That's like twin turbo and has, you know, bajillion horsepower and it's kind of a weirdo thing, whatever. I mean, they're cool, but they're expensive. Also, Rich guy toys. Also, ironically, does not count as a truck according to my job. Fuck you! What? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Just... <laughs> you had me there for a second. <laughs> but these are like these. These are a rich guy toy, right? Hundred percent. And so this guy's yeah. like talking, and he's like asking me what kind of oil it takes, and he's like asking me all these questions about like spark plugs and shit. And I'm kind of like looking at him, like, dude, a lot of this stuff he's like what's the difference between these i'm like marketing dude that's the difference he's like well what about this and this i'm like i don't fucking know dude i don't know what laser iridium plugs are they put laser on it and then they charge more money i I don't know what to fucking tell you yeah the price says it's better but i don't fucking know and he's asking he's like they don't train you guys on this i'm like no i'm not trained on sixty thousand items sir no i'm not but like it's one of those where i'm like i know you don't know what the fuck you're talking about by talking to you you know what i'm saying and that's fine and dandy, but it's like he's asking me like questions about like that he should know. And then he at the end, the whole point of the story is at the end, he's like, 
oh, um, you know, let's see um, if my shop in Colorado, like if I can put it on their account. And I'm thinking, your shop? You own a fucking shop and you're asking me these stupid ass, which, of course, he's the bourgeoisie. I mean, they, they don't fucking know anything. They're not better at running businesses than any of us. They don't know what the fuck's going on. This is a guy who just collects money from a shop where the workers do all the work. And this guy doesn't know the first thing about fucking engine oil. So I found that to be a little bit funny where I'm like, yeah, of course, this is the guy who gets to enjoy the cool, fancy cars. Um, while, you know, the workers are probably driving shit boxes who actually know what the fuck they're looking at. In, so. in the interest of me never, ever stepping foot in that shop, do you happen to know what it's called? <laughs> no, I don't. I, <laughs> I thought about man. asking it. I was, oh, that's right. I forget you guys are in Colorado. I should have asked because I was like, I'm sitting here like, fuck you. At this moment, I'm just like, I hate this man so much. I was fine before you said like, oh, well, but when I know you're like, oh, I work for a shop or whatever, I'm like, please, God, I hate you. Like, <laughs> fuck you, dude. <laughs> Um, I, you know, this is not the guy turning wrenches. He's not, he can't even be the service writer because the service writer would at least know something. So I'm like, yeah, you are the owner. Unreal. Um, and he's got owner money. So, you know, anyway, I found that to be an aggravating experience and just another reminder of why capitalism sucks. So, yeah. Okay. Now I'm done. Fuck that dude. Yeah, fuck that guy. I was I was just so, he took so much of my fucking time and it's a Saturday. It's fucking busy and he's like asking me yeah. do do and I'm like dude, I don't know. Like if you don't know how to do this shit, you shouldn't be buying it. I don't I don't know. Yeah, what to tell you got you. fucking Ford Raptor money. Take it to the Ford dealership and let them screw you out of a bunch of money. Why yeah, and that's what he was like. like they wanted to charge me $500. I'm like, "Well, you know, I didn't say this, but it's like, well, dude, it kind of seems like you should pay it cuz you don't know what the fuck you're doing and you don't know how to use YouTube apparently." Because I, I guarantee we have listeners to this show who like probably don't know how to do a lot of things, but could like pull up YouTube and figure it out. And this guy like this I, I'm pretty sure there are people who host this show that do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how to help you here. Go ask a friend. Go go ask someone who works for you at your fucking shop, you asshole. Yeah. What the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. So, of course, that's where the money sits, baby. Up at the top with the people who don't know how to work. All right. Uh, we had a little technical snafu. That's what you get for using the, the free software. But uh, where were we? Um, I think, Connor, you're talking about the... Yeah, I had finished. So that okay. stupid rich guy. Fuck him. That that's the, that's the thesis. Fuck that guy. Okay. Yeah, just in case that part got cut out for any reason we need to make sure to get that in fuck that yeah. asshole <laughs> yeah so i guess whoever's next i don't i don't know my abc's that well so you know uh, figure it out guys that'd be I me i think that. yeah let's see so i think last time we talked i had had a electrical problem with my mr2 which is an ongoing thing it's got some bad grounds somewhere the wiring's a little dodgy like the um, center console with the HVAC controls, like the the backlight for that just kind of turns off sometimes. And the uh, fog mm. lights sometimes don't work and the turn signals get a little weird sometimes. And that was all happening. And then I was driving it that afternoon or the, you know, the day after or whatever. And someone cut me off and I had to panic break, like lock up the tires and big cloud of smoke and everything. Nice. And that fixed all the electrical problems. Like 
uh, the oh, early fog lights start started working again. Uh, just the G forces from that, I guess. Sweet. Now define the term fix. <laughs> I mean, the fog lights work now. Um, the HVAC controls that light does not always work, and sometimes the radio will just suddenly turn on when I hit a pothole. But um, oh, I've had that happen. <laughs> I'm not going to tear off the dash to fix it right now. I've also had my windshield wipers go on when I hit a bump. <laughs> uh, no, I've also had that. <laughs> it happens when I'm drifting a lot, too. <laughs> Has anyone else here ever seriously considered just rewiring the shit out of your dash to confuse people? Like, just so that, like, when you turn your lights on, like, the windshield wipers come on, or, like, you turn the windshield wipers on to beep the horn, stuff like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I want to do that so much. I... I don't know. I kind of like um, in um, what is it, Mad Max Fury Road, where she has all the different like kill switches, and you have to do them in a certain order. I kind of want something like that. But that would be pretty cool, indeed. I saw someone wire in a pin pad into like the center console area <laughs> of their '80s era car. I can't remember what it was. It was like an old That's Corvette cool. or something like that, and you had to like put in a pin code. That's funny. Before it would start up, I, I think that's pretty rad. You know what would be cooler than that? Like an old safe dial that you'd have to fucking put in a coach to open it up, and then there's a toggle switch that you have to hit. Yeah, that would be rad. I I had a motorcycle that didn't have an ignition switch at all. You literally just took the bat the wire that came directly from the starter and touched it to the the battery to start it. Oh yeah. And I just I wired in a secret kill switch underneath the gas tank so that like if someone actually was brave enough to try and steal that thing it would be a little bit more of a struggle nice. yeah just put a jockey shifter on there and then no one's gonna try to steal it that's just that? terrifying uh sometimes called a suicide clutch where you shift with your left hand off like a big arm that comes up i didn't mm. maybe you could explain it better brandon Normally with a motorcycle, the clutch is your uh, left hand and you shift with your left foot. Uh, a suicide clutch is when you engage the clutch with your left foot with the pedal and you have to reach down like under your, your ass to shift. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that seems scary. I've seen them with big extendo arms that come up like kind of next to you. So you just take your hand off the, the handlebar and reach back a little and you can grab it. But it's still sketchy either way. Yeah, they also get real sketchy when you run no front brake because that's that's all like chopper shit because you have no way of keeping yourself from rolling back on hills and shit like that. Yeah, no thanks. You have to keep one. No front. Why would you run no front brake? Listen, I have bikes with no front brake. Shut up. (laughs) Oh wait, that seems dangerous. No, you race. I mean, I I, yeah. (laughs) Look, I shouldn't be talking, but like, I have brakes. Mostly, I did fuck with them to put in the handbrake that doesn't work, but you know, um, it's just a cleaner look. That it's literally aesthetic. All right, fair enough. But yeah, that's about all I've got. I I still need to get new tires on that car because that panic brake was a, uh, I don't know, a little bit, a little bit squirrely. Um, you probably flat spotted a bunch of your tires. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Also, people just just look before you change lanes, like really suddenly, you know, like check your mirrors. Like, I wasn't going that much faster than this person. Yeah, Brandon, what have you been up to? 
I will say I am repeatedly getting a message now that's saying connected and disconnected. So uh, if I cut out, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. Fortunately, I haven't done anything lately. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I, that's unusual. Uh, I am definitely having some mental health issues. I did a few weeks ago help a friend of mine with his El Camino, and I got that fixed. But like, I have not done anything in the last two weeks. Fair enough. Right. I mean, it is good to get a break once in a while, especially. I mean, you're constantly working on shit. Yeah, I actually should work. Much. What's up? I said arguably too much. I should fix the Ford because when I put on the new carburetor, I never hooked up the electric choke because it was summer and I just didn't need it. <laughs> yep, and now, now it's, it's getting cold. <laughs> yeah, now it's like yep. 40 degrees some mornings and I have a, like it's basically like like voodoo at this point how I have to get the fucking Ford started. I mean, you can it, reach the the carb though, right? In Ford or no? I'm not pulling off the whole goddamn doghouse just to to get to it though. <laughs> Plus, it's not like I can close close the choke for a second. I have it zip tied open. Oh, okay, yeah. No, now now it's uh it's it's three. This, pumps. Um, how does the electric choke work on those? Because I know how it works on like scooters, but not cars. Probably about the same. The choke will stay closed until like you you wire it in key hot. So that once uh-huh. it's uh, once it's been on for a certain amount of time, it just opens up, like it opens gradually. Yeah. But I don't know if like yeah. the resistance causes like heat or or whatever. I've never been too clear on that. Yeah, the, I I know the way it works on Honda scooters is it's like got a little little container full of wax and a spring in there or something like that, and so like <laughs> the wax melts with a little <laughs> heater coil, so and then allows the spring to to open it back up or something. This sounds like a Rube Goldberg machine. It is very, yeah. <laughs> but it works. Like they've been, I think even newer Hondas with carburetors use the same deal. I mean, my my ritual right now for starting it on a cold day without the choke is like three pumps on the throttle and then you turn it over for a few seconds. Three more pumps, turn it over for a few seconds, let it sit for five to ten seconds and then do that again and it'll usually start at the end of the second round of that <laughs> all right well as yeah. as you got a method i think my um my mr2 has a very slight vacuum leak or something because it it starts a little bit rough sometimes i have to give a, a little bit of gas um but it it works it starts every time it's fuel injected so but it's it's the primitive like you know second generation of fuel injection where it's got the the flappy paddle uh, math sensor or whatever. So it's not the greatest. My Ford lives by the mantra of it starts 80% of the time, every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, uh, one of the teams that races lemons, they have a ranchero with that same engine. And I think they put that Holly EFI system on it and seemed to work pretty good. I don't know if it's, you were talking about building a whole intake for it and everything, right? Yeah. I I wildly overestimate my motivation. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, same. Well, guys, should we take a little break here and then start talking about unsafe at any speed? Or do we got anything else going on? That sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, yeah sounds right. good to me. Cool. Cool.
you guys want to talk about uh, pollution? You're goddamn right I do. All right. Okay, so we're back and we're talking unsafe at any speed again. I think this is part three. We might have one more part covering the last two chapters and then also like covering the life and times of uh, Ralph Nader. We'll see if we can fit that all into one episode or or how this one goes. Uh, we'll see. I'm just wondering if throughout this story, I feel like there has got to be some speed that is safe, right? I know the book is entitled Unsafe at Any Speed, but there's got to be one speed, right? And I, I'm determined to find out what it is. Is it two miles per hour? Is it 40 miles per hour? There is a fucking speed that is safe. I, I guarantee it. I think... I think if you go a high enough speed, you start to bend the laws of physics and then, you know, things will literally move out of your way. You know what? I kind of agree with that because like when I'm really being fucking reckless, I feel like time slows down and everything stops mattering. And at that point, like even when you when you fuck it up, are you really even going to know? I mean, seems pretty safe to me. Either you're going to come out the other side perfectly fine or it's not your problem anymore. <laughs> Damn, yeah, I agree. That is very safe to me. That's safer than I feel yeah. living through capitalism. The problem is when you're you're doing that and you are getting hurt. So time slows down and it's just a lot of pain, but for a lot longer. Mm. That's that is a that is a risk. Sure, that's true. But it yeah. feels like I'm invincible at those times. <laughs> and. And to answer your question, um, there's a couple instances, especially in Chapter 6, of people dying as the result of parked cars. So uh, I guess the answer is zero, at least. Well, for so I mean, cars. zero is... talking about a Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what did you say, Connor? Uh, so I'm guessing zero is not one of those speeds. Yeah, I mean, okay. you, there are people that were killed by cars that were stopped, so... Um, gotcha. Any any speed means any speed, I guess. Um, well, we'll keep searching then. I, yeah. I, am gonna, I mean, I'm going to need an explanation for that. There's got to be one one speed where just like by entire chance, no one has ever. You know died what? The land like speed record forty seven point three miles. <laughs> Whatever the land speed record is, no one if they if they make it and don't crash, that is the safest speed because nothing has gone wrong at that point. There you go. Yeah. That's, That's literally logically fucking true. Go ahead. Try and debunk it, motherfuckers. I dare you. So whatever that. Yeah, I'm going to look it up right now. Whatever that land speed record is, that's the safest speed. There's like 100 land speed records. I'm going to find one of them and I'm going to uh, proclaim that that's the safe one. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to try and cover uh, chapters four, five and six in this one. Um, chapter four, the power to pollute. Chapter five, the engineers and chapter six, the stylists. And if you're picking up on a theme, um, these are all or at least the engineers and stylists are groups of people that made cars uh, unsafe. And uh, chapter four is, you know, all about how people understood pollution uh, in the 1960s. Um, mostly they didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they didn't. Or at least they they conveniently ignored uh, certain aspects of it. Also, I would point out that the engineers aren't necessarily the culprit. It, it's the um, the capitalist enterprise that put whatever limitations on the engineers. Yeah. Gave them parameters. Also, now seems like a good time to mention, current land speed record is 
a whopping seven seven hundred sixty three point zero three five miles per hour. And uh, I'm guessing that yeah, that's the safest speed because nothing has gone wrong at that speed yet. So uh, until something does, just saying. It was a couple of years ago that girl died doing the land speed record. Stop it. Stop it. I <laughs> I wanted this. This bit is over. Okay. It's over. That's the safe speed. God damn it. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'm just going to start reading here. Uh, in 1950, a prominent California biochemist made the discovery, which was to establish a definite fact, the link between automobile exhausts and smog conditions in Los Angeles. Dr. Arlie Hagen-Smith, that's quite a name there, uh, stated that hydrocarbon compounds produced by automobile exhaust react with oxides of nitrogen under sunlight to produce photochemical smog, the hazy eye-irritating blanket so familiar to residents of Los Angeles and other cities. That discovery, coupled with extensive studies made by the Los Angeles Air Pollution Control District, showed that more than half of Los Angeles air pollution problems caused uh, by automobile exhausts. Uh, The situation is not limited to Los Angeles. Cars, buses, and trucks contributed to half the air pollution in the United States. Say that again? That last bit? The exhaust of cars, buses, and trucks contribute to half the pollution in the United States. uh, Oh, okay. For a second, I thought it excluded cars, and I was like, whoa, all right, wow. Yeah, and this is in 1965. I think the numbers are a little bit different now. But basically they're saying, you know, back in the day when smog was really bad in urban areas, especially Los Angeles, they had higher incidence of uh, morbidity and mortality from emphysema, chronic bronchitis, lung cancer, and heart disease. Woo. Yeah, so it was really bad uh, back in the day. Um, So... You know, if, if anyone ever says, you know, the air, the Clean Air Act is irrelevant. Uh, Disregard their opinion. It's not like people were, yeah, people were dying from this and stuff. Um, I, I read somewhere else that um, back in the day in Los Angeles, instead of like snow days off from school, they would have smog days <laughs> where it's like, don't leave your house, don't open the windows, um, you know. Just try to breathe as little as possible. Exactly. Like, just hold your breath most of the day if you can. That would probably be the best thing. Yeah. I love America so much. It's, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's amazing. Land of opportunity. You have so many opportunities every day to die in the wackiest ways. Yeah. I, it's wonderful. I can't remember if where I live is the worst air quality in the country or just one of the worst air qualities in the country. That's I feel like cool. it's got to be one of the worst because I think I thought LA was like the pinnacle of awful in the seventies and eighties. A hundred percent, that was true. Hmm. But because because of that, they had to clean up their act a lot. So I don't know if it's still true. Hey, if y'all put your mind to it, I really think that you can get that number one spot. <laughs> I'm pulling for you. Yeah, and I mean, where you live in Pittsburgh, it's mostly industrial emissions, right? I actually, I don't even know. Yeah. We don't have a lot think. of industry here relative to like what there was at one point. Right. When I know um, LA and Denver is sort of the same way. Um, they're, they're both sort of like in a basin shaped area with like, you know, mountains on one side and the prevailing winds kind of just swirl around and trap all yeah. that smog 
in the area. I don't know if Pittsburgh is similar to that. Okay. The internet quickly tells me, oh, wait, this is showing me the worst air quality in California. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listeners, look it up yourself. Um, we're, we're not here to educate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. So uh, pollution also corrodes metal, deteriorates rubber products, erodes concrete and building stone. Uh, soils a great variety of materials and deposits dust and soot on highly sensitive machinery and instruments. Does it really? Um, huh. Yeah, I mean, especially with like um, with acid rain that can like erode stone and mm, concrete. Yeah, that's true. Yep, acid rain. Forgot about that one. Let's see where it was. Uh, Paul Ackerman, then chairman of the Engineering Advisory Committee of the Automobile Manufacturers Association admitted before the California legislature in 1959 that the unique characteristics of California atmosphere came to our attention during the 1920s when we noticed that tires and other rubber products cracked and deteriorated in the Los Angeles area. So they've known about this for a long time. So I can't believe, I'm, I'm shocked that it made that big of a difference, really. I mean, oh, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, it goes on, ozone, which results from the chemical interaction of automobile exhaust elements is the chief attacker of tire and rubber products. The industry knew of the high concentration of ozone in Los Angeles. Uh, let's see. The industry saw no need to defend its continued production of polluting vehicles. On the contrary, it was up to the Los Angeles authorities to establish the data and shoulder the burden of proof with the industry being judge and jury over whether the burden was met. It took the expenditure. Sounds, yeah, that's true for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is talking about basically when LA was like, um, hey, car industry, do better. And they're like, it's not our fault. You, you know, it's it's just, it's just you know, some other shit is causing You have too many people smog. smoking outside. That's the issue. <laughs> they should smoke yeah. inside, actually. <laughs> it took the expenditure of several millions of dollars of public funds for the Los Angeles Air Pollution Control District to conduct the research into automobile operation, local driving conditions, and the composition of gasolines in order to determine that the specific contributions of various pollutants to smog. So you mean the big capitalists forced the government to use public funds in this way? Huh? Exactly. Yeah. Cause that's interesting. Cause that's not usually the complaint I hear from the, pro-industry types. Interesting. <laughs> By 1953, the APCD had established beyond any doubt that motor vehicles were the largest source of air pollutants and the chief source of hydrocarbons in the area. The automobiles I were... I suspect the CEOs still doubted it. <laughs> uh, in response to the increasing public pressure, the industry decided to close ranks. In December 1953, through their trade body, the Automobile Manufacturers Association, the companies formed the Vehicle Combustion Products Committee to initiate a cooperative program of research and development on an industry-wide basis to facilitate the exchange of information so that no company would have any advantage over another. Member companies entered into a royalty-free cross-licensing agreement for devices or systems primarily designed to reduce emissions. So they're like, um, you know, Okay, I guess maybe we have to do something, but uh, we're we're all gonna like basically make a um, a cartel to to work on um, 
emissions control systems. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess maybe in a not capitalist system, that would have been a good thing. Yeah. But they basically was like, they the car companies were basically like, uh, how can we do this the cheapest way with like meeting the, the least number of regulations? Yeah. So it's really just them. When businesses collude this way, it's usually to um, uh, solve the prisoner's dilemma, right? Which is yeah. where they're just like, yeah, if we all just do the bare minimum, that's it. If we decide uh, and we all work, if we all go together, no one else is going to get an advantage and we're not going to create a, a standard that no one else wants to meet. Right. Well played. Well played. Um, and they also kind of played this up as like, this is an impossible task. We can't actually reduce emissions. A guy named Charles uh, Chain, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, from General Motors, compared the problem to um, trying to find a cure for cancer. I also like the I love I love the implication being there's gonna there's never that's never gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, 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 Ralph points out here subsequent data strongly pointed to vehicle contaminants as a cause of cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's rich. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Got it. (laughs) So basically they, they spent a lot of time just stalling and moving the goalposts and like saying, okay, we're going to get to this by the next model year. And then that would roll around and like, okay, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll get to it. Totally. Uh, let's see. Uh, by November 1957, the Los Angeles County Air Pollution Control Officer S. Smith Griswold publicly declared before the National Advisory Committee to the U.S. Surgeon General his despair about community air pollution. We have done everything that it is within our power to do so. We have cleaned up industries that other sections of the country have deemed impossible to control. Steel mills, petroleum refineries, smelters, railroads, shipping. We have helped our electrical utilities obtain more gas for their steam plants. We've issued 5,000 citations in the past three years and levied half a million dollars in fines. Despite this, we still have smog. Yeah, so uh, it's it's basically up to the car companies right now. And they're like, nope, no, nope, we're not going to do that. Let's see. One thing I thought was insane um, was basically... You know what a smog pump is? It's like a like a air pump that adds fresh air to the exhaust to burn up hydrocarbons. Uh, that you was know in, what? I, in, I actually I, I know of them. I have no idea how they work. I mean, it's not something that's used anymore since catalytic converters became a thing. Yeah. Um, but like in the past, they were basically just like a little tiny supercharger that was belt uh, run off of a belt on the engine and it would pump air into the exhaust. Really? Yeah, I've seen and people what actually. Do? It would it would just add it would burn up any unburned gasoline in the exhaust. So you could basically run it a little bit rich, so you wouldn't have like a whole lot of oxides of nitrogen in the. Yeah, you wouldn't chamber. have you wouldn't have NOx emissions. Yeah, and then it would burn up everything mm-hmm. everything extra in the exhaust. But I, I assume that would put more uh, carbon dioxide into the air. Unfortunately, it, before yeah, we knew, exactly. <laughs> before we knew that that was a real issue. And um, a couple of things about that, like 
I, I've seen a couple of things where people will take those old smog pumps and um, use them as superchargers on like lawnmower engines and stuff. Nice. <laughs> they're, they're sized about right for that. Very cool. And also, I, I remember reading about the, the first generation RX-7 had a smog pump rather than a catalytic converter. And if you like disconnected it, it would like shoot fire out of the exhaust. All right, that's cool. It's very cool, but it's probably awful for the environment. But that does sound very cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that surprised me is that the smog pump was invented in 1909. So this technology was known. You know, people could have used it in the 50s to to control smog in LA. Um, but the auto industry was like, nope, that's too, too crazy technology. We can't, we can't, you know, make that an air pump. Using technology, using technology that's been <laughs> around for 50 years to slightly reduce emissions. What do you want us to do? Cure cancer over here? Jeez. Fucking God. Uh, yep. What a bunch of assholes. Uh, let's see. So that is the end of chapter four or what I, whatever I have for it. Um, we're going to move on to chapter five, the engineers. And this is All less right. to do with fuck the engineers. The... I, look, I know I was defending them a little bit earlier, but man, fuck these engineers. Sometimes they do some crazy shit that I do not like. And yeah. I curse them is... when I work on the car. This oh, is yeah. less to do with the design engineers rather than the testing and like safety engineers. Like GM at this point had like a like a proving ground where they test all their cars. I think it's still there in, in Michigan. And they sort of designed like like they built reproductions of like American highways and streets and roads and everything in there. And they would test out their cars and they would do crash tests and everything. And there's a few of these engineers at GM that were like, you know, what if we could design roads better than the rest of the country? Like, how can we? Uh, try and make you know the roads better rather than the cars better for crash testing but let's see um i'm not necessarily against that idea i'm just uh i will i'll go out and defend that possibility yeah i mean it so it in theory it was a good idea i'll get into like the specifics and why it was kind of insane in 1964 automobiles killed 47,700 people and injured over 4 million so I don't know what the stat is today. Actually, you know, that, I think just... we're we're in the forties. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're in the forties for uh, fatalities still. So, by the way, I I never got around to um, one of the early episodes for the show that I wanted to do was the uh, was about um, the Japanese gentleman's agreement to limit horsepower in their cars. Um, uh-huh. We will do that at some point. Um, I just have to refresh my memory on the notes, but one of these days we'll get to it. But one of the things I learned was um, Japan has way fewer uh, traffic deaths. But I mean, it's not even they took it so seriously where they're like, oh, my God, like four people died. We have to like totally change everything. And I'm like, holy shit, we are so unsafe in America. It's not even fun. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Traffic deaths. We're like the worst. So I just looked it up. It's. It's just under forty three thousand for twenty twenty one. So I mean, less honestly, people died. Talk to an American; it makes complete sense. Yeah, like we're just but, not, we're but not still, a smart people. 
<laughs> I mean, still less people died in 2021 than in 1964 with like twice as many people in the country. So like, That's true. I don't know. I don't know what that says. Like things have gotten a lot safer, um, but still like a lot of people die from car wrecks. Yeah. Yeah. This is an evil country. Really does not care about people. It's shocking. It really. I is. mean, yeah, you can look at all the deaths from COVID to to learn that. It's like, and and you know, imperialism and everything. God, just ah, yeah. It's just I, very easy to say that America is evil, but goddamn. I uh, I started reading um, an Indigenous Peoples History of the United States, and it's like, yeah, you know, America is pretty damn evil, like from the jump. Yeah. Before starting that book, you weren't sure, but now <laughs> it, was, it was questionable before. It's like, are they really evil, though? Let's find out. Oh, turns out they, wow, yeah, very evil. Shocking. <laughs> turns out I don't know now because they found out I was reading the book and put me in jail. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, um, Nader points out that basically, you know, like in all other forms of transportation, like, uh, trains, ships and airplanes, you know, if someone dies, it's an unusual thing. Like (laughs) if there's like a, a plane crash, that's like a big deal. And everyone's like horrified. But if, you know, the same number of people die in car wrecks over the course of a day, you know, no one it's, it's just business as usual. And In, insert the um the like Joker meme here, <laughs> yeah. where, where if everything goes according to plan, everybody's fine with it, <laughs> right? And basically, he's talking about how like for like elevators or other industrial um, equipment or tra- uh, transportation, like they're shooting for zero fatalities or zero injuries, and you know with cars, they're like yeah whatever it's it's the fault of whoever's driving. If they die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he also points out that the dead and injured consumers of automobiles do not interfere with production and sales. They are outside the self-disciplining system of plant safety. And when it comes to passenger safety, the hard headed empiricism of the production engineer does not apply. Rather the so-called automotive safety engineer devotes himself to the defense of the automobile created by his colleagues in the styling and marketing departments. Um, and <laughs> okay. So for example, in 1954, a banker in New York who owned a Buick wrote to general motors, suggesting that the dashboards were dangerous in accident conditions. The other day I had to step quickly on the brakes to avoid hitting a little kitten. And in, do- in so doing, my son, eight years old, was thrown against the dash and broke off a front second tooth. If some padding can be applied, it will help save faces and maybe lives. Uh, this is just a suggestion for safer motoring for all. The letter was given to Mr. Howard Gandalot for reply. As the company's vehicle safety engineer, Mr. Gandalot displayed sympathy with his correspondent's predicament. Driving with young children in an automobile always presents some problems, he wrote. As soon as the youngsters get large enough to be able to see out when standing up, that's what they will all do. And I don't blame them. When this time arrived for both our boys, I made it a practice 
to train them so that at the command of hands, they would immediately place their hands on the instrument panel if standing in the front compartment or on the back of the front seat in the rear to protect themselves against sudden stops. My God. (laughs) My God. Just the... (laughs) So this is before the seatbelts, right? Yeah. So it's like you can let your kid just stand up in the back seat as long as they brace themselves. They'll be fine. The solution is to train your child like a dog. Really. Just yell commands at them to prevent them from breaking their face. How is that not obvious? Like, duh. Yeah, I'm sure the first thing they're going to do when when they're in an unexpected accident or rolling and flipping, they're going to put their hands on the instrument panel (laughs) for as long as their little arms can hold themselves there. Which, during a crash, is probably not very long. Oh my right. god, what a fucking... This guy was an engineer. Yeah, he was and, like the head look, safety engineer at GM. <laughs> this goes to my theory that, like, most engineers are not that smart. You do not have to be that smart to be an engineer. Really, you don't. Yeah, it's, this, it, I mean, wow. you're smart in one, or at least you have a lot not of knowledge even. in They're one not even department. smart in that way. I, I work with engineers that I'm just like, you don't... They don't know basic shit a lot of the time. Yeah. I um, Perfect example. <laughs> my my new job involves sending emails to engineers and none of them can spell. Like, no. <laughs> I guess they just, you know, forgot the whole like English class part of uh, their education. Head safety engineer. Great job. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, when, one little thing. He, he says, even now when... Either one of them is in the front seat at the command of hands. They brace themselves. I frequently give these commands, even when there is no occasion to do so, just so we all keep practice. The, the proper way to drive our cars is to train your ch- yourself and your children constantly. In order... Especially, I love how they're in the front. Like, <laughs> they should be in the back. Even with no seatbelts, whatever, the back is probably safer, right. I assume. Like, Jesus. Oh, this is uh, this is crazy shit. Yeah, actually, I don't think that guy was head safety engineer. Um, there's a guy, another guy named Ken Stonex who I think was uh, head of safety at GM, and he was he was working with the he was a guy working with the proving grounds and trying to design new highways. Um, and let's see. Hey, real quick, uh, Brandon, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, shit. It says you're offline again. Uh, I have. Is he talking? I can hear him. Shit, I can't. Nope. Nothing on my end either. All right. No, well, fuck. We better stop. Stop and uh, restart again. Um, yeah. God damn it. All right. So. Ken Stonex had this idea of improving the roadways around the country. He says, uh, the passenger who flies over any of our cities is struck by the tremendously large proportion of the surface area, which is given over to rooftops. In many cases, the most conspicuous part of the landscape below are the rooftops and the street surfaces. To conserve this valuable area, there does not seem to be any practical reason why long-term planning cannot arrange that new roads be built over the buildings in commercial districts and heavily congested residential districts so that the road pavement serves as the roof deck. In central business districts, we might even have to think 
of horizontal tunnels through the buildings to carry automotive traffic, just as we have vertical tunnels to carry elevator traffic. My God. Unbelievable. <laughs> By the way, uh, Texas cities have uh, followed this philosophy, and let me tell you, has not worked well. Yeah. <laughs> All their highways are just like up in the air, in the sky, and they fucking loop around every goddamn thing. And I'm like, and they have horrific traffic. Just horrible. Everything's a highway, and it's terrible. Just just one more lane, bro. Just one more. <laughs> It'll be good I this love time. the tunnels through buildings. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, oh, man was, this man was truly the Elon Musk of his time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that as a compliment. How, how could you? <laughs> uh, Jesus. I'm going to skip ahead a little ways here. Okay, so the Society of Automotive Engineers, Nader accuses, was uh, complicit in rigging odometers to basically favor the auto industry over the consumer. Why? How would an odometer? I'm interested to find out how that would work. Yeah. So in 1963, the National Bureau of Standards, Department of Commerce, released the McKay Report which showed with irrefutable exactness that for American automobiles, a mile is not necessarily a mile. For years, as some alert motorists know, Americans have been driving less than they think they have. A McKay study showed that automobile odometers over-registered mileage on an average of 3.21%, with some cars registering an error of over 5%. Holy cow. Hmm. So. Why? Yeah, but uh, regulate, state regulations defining the permissible margin of error were ignored by the industry and not enforced by the state administrators. That, yeah, that why would it be? Like capitalism, yeah, that sounds normal. But, <laughs> but why would they do this? I mean, I'm trying to think, like, would people get more oil changes or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd um, get more oil changes, get more services. You know, your, your trade-in for your used car would be l- worth less because oh it has God. more miles. This is dis- this is incredible. <laughs> Again, I think like the kind of overarching theme of our show in general is just that like the automotive industry in general is a perfect microcosm to like investigate capitalism. Just yes. this one industry is like, look here, if you focus on this, you will see all of it. The worst elements of capitalism here. Unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah. So he goes into more detail here. Few practices can be more deceptive than tampering with the integrity of a measurement, whether it be miles, pounds, or inches. Few deceptions could serve such a variety of purposes. Car and tire warranties based on mileage run out sooner when odometers are Oh, my God. I forgot about that, too. Unbelievable, these motherfuckers. Unbelievable. (laughs) And three percent when you're talking like oh a hundred thousand miles is like damn that's that's not a little bit oh my god that's crazy yeah. bastards holy shit gas mileage per gallon claims of manufacturers are overestimated or inflated making easier the task described by Ford's Ray Pittman that too oh my burn it all yeah. down burn it all we- down I mean I already thought that but god damn it burn it all down. Uh, yeah, Ford's Ray Pittman says we fight for fractions of 1% for fuel economy. So, I mean, they can just lie and say, oh, yeah, it gets, you know, 
25 miles per gallon when in reality that's uh an error of the odometer and it's it's uh making 20 or whatever so a car owner could receive a lower trade-in value because depreciation is estimated partly on total mileage traveled overset odometers tend to make the car owner think his vehicle is ready to trade in sooner which helps feed the new car turnover finally customers who rent cars pay for miles they did not drive based on the estimate estimate of 1.25 billion miles traveled in 1964 by rented passenger cars at 3.31% overcharge at the rate of 10 cents a mile would amount to an overcharge of almost 4 million dollars damn jesus christ yeah you know, i feel like the capitalists are always playing this game of very small percents of cheating wage theft all this little stuff these little things they chip away at fucking add up to huge sums of money in their pockets and it's coming from our pockets yeah Unreal. and they play it they play it really smartly because as you an individual person who's getting fucked over for you know 3% of your mileage over the life of your car it's it's not all that much like it sucks but it's yeah. not enough to make that big of a stink over as an individual person like you can't really fight for that in an effective way by yourself but cumulatively when they fuck every single person over for that 3% it's massive gains in their pocket Yeah. yeah holy shit that's fucking crazy and yeah. uh i mean even today like if you get different wheels and tires on your car and your speedometer is not calibrated it'll it'll read high or low you know yeah and you mentioned uh wage theft i my coworker um is dealing with something like that like they just changed the the computer system at our work to um uh like a a new thing for like clocking in and out and like vacation days and stuff mm-hmm. and my coworker didn't get paid for 2 days on his last paycheck oh my god jesus and he's like trying to fight it and just hitting a brick wall with hr yeah so i don't know i told him to talk to a lawyer but uh i, I think he's just going to eat that cost you know no yeah, fuck because, I mean, no. what are you going to do you're going to sue the company that writes your fucking checks exactly yeah for 2 yeah, days worth of pay like yeah these bastards can't. Oh. No, but I'll come into work swinging. <laughs> Here you go. Um All right, so he talks a little bit for uh, uh he talks a little bit about this uh Professor James Ryan of the University of Minnesota who tested and developed all these um sort of safety features that could be used on uh cars. And he also like crash tested used his, himself as the crash test dummy on a lot of things um until basically he had health problems and had to quit let's see and he was doing this for like 30 years um like he uh he developed the flight recorder that is now standard equipment for all jet transports so he invented like the black box on on airplanes wow let's see what else did he do he developed automatic seat belts so like the thing on a lot of 80s cars where you have the seat belt that goes on a little track along the door frame hell yeah those are cool we should bring them back yeah i love <laughs> we those bring them back that was fucking sweet uh he also invented hydraulic shock absorbing bumpers 
Uh, so like the, you know, five mile an hour bumpers that were on a lot of uh, cars in the 70s and 80s. I don't know about that. Yeah, what, is, what do you mean five mile per hour bumpers? What? So this was a safety regulation that came out in the 70s that basically cars had to be able to survive a five mile an hour, like, uh, you know, crash without any damage to the, like the frame of the car. And today they do that by having like a plastic bumper with like uh, styrofoam behind it. Yeah. But back in the day, they just had like big shock absorbers and springs. Um, and the, the bumper was like uh, uh, out like, you know, six inches off the front of the car. Um, and they look, re- they looked really ugly, but it worked for, yeah. you know, absorbing crash forces. Nice. Let's see. He also he also invented a large padded steering wheel or large padded steering post with a short travel shock absorber, a retracting steering wheel rim for the driver, and a dashboard recessed under the windshield in front of the passenger. Um, he tested all these designs in dozens of collision impacts, carefully recording the data from each test. His chief contribution was the energy absorbing bumper. And um, he actually crashed a car, a 1956 Ford, with this bumper at 20 miles an hour with no injuries to the passengers or the vehicle. Uh, so this was a, a little bit more heavy duty than what ended up on cars in the 70s. And basically what, he, what he's saying here is this guy developed all these technologies in the 50s and then car uh, car companies are like uh i don't know we can't we can't do the, all that it's too high tech you know um and it took until the 70s for all these things to be implemented let's see all right and then so that's all i have for chapter five i'll move on to chapter six here uh and this is about the stylists and you know uh content warning this is uh involves some people dying in very gruesome ways but uh, first, before that, uh, old Ralph is going to shit on the Ford Mustang. So sorry to any Ford fans out there. I'm not. Um, you have this coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he talks about how um, the magazine Road Test described the car as a hoked up Falcon with ina- inadequate brakes, poor handling, and marvelous promotion. Which I think is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's spot on. <laughs> like most American cars, the Mustang abounds with new and startling engineering features carried over from 1910. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, the magazine cited the very bad glare from windshield wiper arms and blades and warned that its soft shock control could be dangerous on high-speed diagonal road crossings where the vehicle moves into the road abruptly as the springs reach the limit of their travel. The magazine further described the Mustang as having rear axle hop and instability. They advised Mustang owners, owners with heavy duty suspension, the car is safer, but a severe ride penalty is paid, which would be unnecessary if some advertising dollars were spent for advanced independent rear suspension. So see, when, God damn it. They should have done it so long ago. Yeah. When did the Mustang get, Independent 2015. rear suspension. 2015, <laughs> you stupid motherfuckers. 2015. Uh, 
I mean, it just took them a while to develop that technology. Fucking you know? idiots. <laughs> I just, yeah, it should have been independent rear for so fucking long. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about this. In, no, independent rear. You're wrong. Independent rear suspension. <laughs> go, to, go to a drag strip and see how many independent rear suspension setups you see. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, that's every, everything has its purpose. You don't you don't see it much on off road, and you don't see it on the drag strip. There's 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 a time and a place. Um, oh, oh, Brandon, are you still there? Jesus fucking Christ! Yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah you just cut out for a second. I think All we're right. good though. Uh, Steve Wilder, an automobile expert, wrote an article for Car Life entitled "Taming the Wild Mustang." In it, he described the Mustang chassis as the quintessence of what's generally wrong with American cars. It's a heavy-nosed blunderbuss with a teenage rear suspension. Among his dozens of indictments was uh, this indictments. observation. Indictments? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Indictments, yeah. Oh, well, fuck. That's stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, what does that mean? There's um, a, so you don't pronounce the... Nope. The C in there? Oh, yeah. fucking English is a dumb language. Yes, it is. Um, um, actually, hold on. So are they saying that, like, the Mustang didn't have a stiff enough suspension and that made it shitty? I mean... Because, like, it could have been better performance and safer. And to me, I'm just like, yo, if you could be safer and perform better, what's the goddamn excuse? Of course, I know it's cost, but still. Man. Yeah, I, I think... My understanding, the Hooniverse, uh, the guys from the Hooniverse website run a car in Lemons, that um, Ranchero with the this, the Ford Straight 6 I was telling you about earlier. And I, nice. I heard on their podcast, basically, like, it has, like, it's based off of the Falcon. You know, the Falcon, Ranchero, and the Mustang are all basically the same car underneath. Mm-hmm. And it has really, you know, it's got the solid rear axle with leaf springs with not very well-tuned you know, suspension. Uh, and then the front has like really terrible geometry for handling. So like they all upgrade to like later model Mustang suspension. Uh, if they're going to race it, um, even, even that is pretty terrible. Hmm. But, I want to put one of those kits in my van. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, does that help a lot? Uh, well, right now it has the twin I beam set up, so it will probably help like a lot, a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. definitely. So this guy says, uh, if you hit a bump heeled over, the suspension immediately bottoms out, the tire loses its already tenuous grip, and the Mustang jumps to the side like a frisky colt. Yeah, so they would perform a fuckload better if they had way stiffer suspension. Yeah. Unbelievable. They could have been so much better. They also point out, so in 1963, over a year before the Mustang made its public appearance, Mr. R.C. Lunn, a Ford engineer, delivered a technical paper to the Society Society of Automotive Engineers on the subject of an experimental model of the Mustang, which was being displayed at various parts of the country. Mr. Lund's comments were remarkably candid. They showed a glimpse of what the industry could do in the elementary stage of safety design. Lund included reference to the following features incorporated into the operational model. A fail-safe dual braking system, integrated headrest to prevent or minimize neck and spinal injuries, a roll bar to strengthen the roof structure in the event of rollovers, a steering column preventing rearward displacement in the, into the driver during front-end collisions, a collapsible steering shaft, provision for shoulder harnesses and lap belts, 
strongly anchored seats and bucket seats with lateral holding power. In the production model, Mustang, which was introduced in April 1964, in which nearly half a million were sold in 12 months, every one of these features had been eliminated. So basically this, can, can this I engineer... Yeah. I, I, this seems to be a theme in this book that a lot of people really <laughs> don't understand. And a lot of car enthusiasts feel like, oh, they just want to make things safe and it was going to make things worse. And I'm like, half of their suggestions were like, Yo, you should have a way better suspension, bucket seats. They want roll bars. I'm like, they wanted us to have like the coolest shit that I have to pay thousands of dollars to get now. They wanted that on every car. I feel like such a reactionary right now because every one of those safety features that was listed is something I reject wholesale. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on, a roll bar. That's great. Rigidity, man. Yeah, that's so cool. I want a roll bar in my car, like from the factory. The yeah, this is great. <laughs> I I think he was talking more like just a reinforced roof structure, rather I mean, than like that, that's awesome rigidity. I yeah, I, I, actually, that's onto something though because uh, the like okay at the drag strip there are now different standards for safety for different years of car because I forget what the cutoff is, but at a certain year the roof structures became solid enough that you can go faster without having a cage because okay. the, the actual, yeah, from it, the factory I mean, structure. Sense, like, I've heard the same for like a lot of the new supercars that are like carbon fiber. It's like, you know, adding a, a steel cage in there would basically do nothing, but I don't hmm. know. I don't know if that's true or not. But yeah. Basically saying that the Mustang was all styling and marketing and no actual performance. And sounds about right. Yeah, (laughs) that's legitimately a criticism I have heard from racers back in the day. Right. Yeah. What did um, Carol Shelby called it like a a secretary's car or something like that? Yeah. Which. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of misogynist, I guess. But yeah, I was about to say it was probably sexist coming from him. But also it's I get what he's saying. But yeah. Misogyny sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and uh, he talks about how, like, a lot of injuries from cars hitting pedestrians were due to, like, sharp edges and um, hood ornaments and stuff. And the, the Mustang has a very, or at least the 64 or 65, has a very sharp line along the hood, you know, along the grill um, that, you know, yep. if you hit a pedestrian, it's going to slice them up pretty good i just want to point out i again just coming in with some unrelated nonsense well it's related but since i've been walking the dog a lot more and i am myself a pedestrian a lot more than i used to be holy Mm. shit it's fucking scary out there (laughs) i go to the intersection where i'm like yo people do not see us and we're like wearing high visibility shit and they almost run me over all the time i'm like people please pay attention when you're driving it's so bad. It's crazy. I don't even know. I'm. It's it's scary out there. So you know, fuck cars, but, man. Yeah. <laughs> they belong on racetracks, and that's it. So then he talks a lot about the Cadillac tail fins. Um, the callousness of the stylists about the effect of their creations on pedestrians is seen clearly in the case of William Mitchell, chief stylist at General Motors, and the principal creator of the Cadillac tail fin. This sharp rising fin was first introduced in the late 40s 
soaring in height and prominence each year until it reached a grotesque peak in 1959 and gradually declining thereafter until it was finally eliminated in the 1966 models. To understand how a man could devise and promote such a potentially lethal protuberance, it is necessary to understand the enthusiasm of Mr. Mitchell, who frequently confides to his interviewers that he has gasoline in his blood. His vibrancy in conversation involves, uh, revolves around the concepts of movement, excitement, and flair. You should go to a doctor because gasoline's really bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so far I can't fault the guy for this. I'm like, all right, I get you. But so he goes on for a while about uh, car styling, um, and then says uh, his his view of safety is that if it is the driver's responsibility to avoid accidents, and that if cars were made crashworthy, the nuts behind the wheel would take even greater chances. Um, which is actually true. Yeah, like, he's not actually wrong on that. <laughs> yeah, we've seen like all-wheel drive has made people way more confident in their cars than they should be. Right. Yeah. So he's not a hundred percent wrong. Let's see. Uh, in the year of its greatest height, the Cadillac fin bore an uncanny resemblance to the tail of the Stegosaurus, a dinosaur that had two sharp <laughs> rearward projecting horns on each side of the tail. Uh, and then, you know, content warning, this is uh, people bidding, being injured and killed. Uh, in 1964, a California motorcycle driver learned the dangers of the Cadillac tail fin. The cyclist was following a heavy line of traffic on the freeway going toward Newport Harbor in Santa Ana. As a four-lane road narrowed to two lanes, the confusion of highway construction and the swerving of vehicles and the merging traffic led to the Cadillac's sudden stop. The motorcyclist was boxed in and was unable to turn aside. Uh oh! Oh no! Hit, oh no! <laughs> he hit the rear bumper of the car at a speed of about twenty-five miles per hour, and was hurled into the tail fin, oh, which no. pierced his body below the heart and cut him all the way down to the thigh bone in a large circular gash. Jesus! Both Finn and Man survived this encounter. Excuse so me? the car was okay. He he survived. Yeah. How? Below the okay, heart. Great. All right, whatever. I'll just take it that he left, that he survived. I don't get it, but okay. Yeah. Uh, the same was not true in the case of nine-year-old Peggy Swan. On September 29th, 1963, she was riding her bicycle near her home in Kensington, Maryland. Coming down Kensington Boulevard, she bumped into a parked car in a typical childhood accident. But the car was a 1962 Cadillac, and she hit the tail fin which ripped into her body below the throat. She died at Holy Cross Hospital a few hours later of thoracic hemorrhage. Jesus. Yeah. Well, if you're going to die of any kind of hemorrhage, it might as well be th thoracic. Yeah. I don't know what that means. So, I just... <laughs> I think it just means like your torso. What? Yeah, sure, why not? From that, uh, That's got to be a sharp, sharp tail fin. Way sharper than I thought they were. Uh, yeah, those, I mean, with those stegosaurus-like tail fins, it was more like a Jurassic hemorrhage. <laughs> there it is. Uh, All right. I feel so off my I game today. About that. No, you shouldn't. That's the joke I would have made if I was on top of things. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm happy to happy to pick up the slack for you, buddy. <laughs> someone's got to. Yeah, I'll. Uh, 
I'll post a, a picture in the chat of a 1962 Cadillac tail fin. You can see for yourself. They're pretty big and pointy. I mean, I understand why you would send that, but you're acting like I don't know what that looks like already. <laughs> yeah. I'm I sorry. Don't, but okay, that is, yeah, that's real. Holy shit. Okay. I was thinking of way softer tail fins that I have seen on other cars, but that is, yeah, that's dangerous. Okay. Yeah. Let's see where it's, was I. It's the perfect vehicle to back into your enemies. Right. Yeah, it is. I will. I will give it that. And he talks about how uh, a year and a half earlier, uh, Henry Wakefield, the independent automotive engineer, had sent by registered mail a formal advisory to General Motors and its chief safety engineer, Howard Gandalot, the guy that was saying, just brace yourself for a crash. Uh, the, <laughs> the letter was sent in the spirit of the canons of ethics for engineers and began with these words. This letter is to ensure that you as an engineer and the General Motors Corporation are advised of the hazard to pedestrians which exists in the sharp pointed tail fins of recent production 1962 Cadillac automobiles and other recent models of Cadillacs. So basically he's saying, you know, like they knew about this, you know, there was already concern that these uh, tail fins were dangerous and they just kept making them until 1966. And I feel like they really didn't look that good. They didn't look that good that, like, there's concern about them, and you're just like, well, fuck it, they look so good, it's worth it. Wasn't yeah. worth it. They didn't look that good. Uh, They're a novelty now. They're a novelty now where it's like, oh, it's cool that, like, something so stupid existed before, but, like, they're, objectively, they're ugly. <laughs> I'm sure Brandon disagrees, but come on. These are not very good looking. I, I think they look cool, but also, like, I'm I'm willing to, you know... You can you can try something else to make it look cool, so that people won't die. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, Wakeland gave some uh, examples of two recent fatal cases that had come to his attention. In one instance, an old woman in New York City had been struck by a Cadillac which was rolling slowly backwards after its power brakes failed. So another, you know, we talked about that in the last episode yep. of power yeah, brakes aren't a big deal for GM. Right. Um, it's an afterthought. In another case, a 13-year-old Chicago boy trying to catch a fly ball on a summer day in 1961 had run into a 1961 Cadillac fin, which pierced his heart. Oh, so, God. That's some final, final what, destination shit? Yeah. I've never yeah, seen that movie, much. but, like, yeah, that's some, that's some fucking crazy shit. Um, th- they're pretty fantastically terrible movies, I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, uh, Nader goes into more detail about, like, you know, hey, like, you could do a safety recall for this and just remove the fins and, you know, Bondo over that or whatever. Like, It'd be there's, so there's, simple, yeah. <laughs> there's ways of fixing this or, like, you know. Um, but, yeah, he's saying, like, you know, there, there's ways of, of making this more safe. But, uh, you know, they, they care more about styling uh, than safety. He would be correct. So, <laughs> but, I mean, I also do that (laughs) yeah i mean but we're not examples of like good i don't know upstanding folks yeah i'm more of a warning than an example (laughs) (laughs) exactly we're like what you shouldn't be or shouldn't do 
Oh, so he says that um, recent models avoid these by particular ornament designs, not for pedestrian safety, but to conform to the new clean look that is a trademark of current styling. Uh, the deadly Cadillac tail fin had disappeared for the same reason. So he's basically saying, you know, they took away all these sharp edges just because the, um, the styling know, has changed. The, yeah, the, the, trends the styling fashion trends, yeah, had changed, not for any safety reasons. But uh, that's all I have in my notes. I mean, there's more to it than that. But um, I will encourage the listeners to read the book to uh, get the all the full details. Um, anything Grizzly. else before we uh, wrap up here, guys? Any final thoughts? Uh, nothing really besides, you know, uh, like in, like our social media stuff. And if you like our podcast, give us a review and stuff. We're just... We're just a little, little old podcast. You know, we don't have a big following. Little, little review goes a long way. Zach, bust out the simple country lawyer to convince people to give us a good review. Come on, simple country lawyer. Come, oh, excuse me. That's not Zach. It's simple country lawyer. Simple country lawyer. Come back. Now, y'all folks been listening to us for a long time now. And if you think that I, you be liking what you've been hearing, go ahead and go on to your podcast app. Write us up a little review. Give us five stars if you like it. Well, if you don't like it, I reckon you ought to keep your mouth shut. Because just like my mama told me, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Thank you, Simple Country Lawyer. We really appreciate you coming back to, to shill for our podcast. Anytime, boys. I expect my check in the mail any day. <laughs> good, 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 good luck. Good <laughs> luck. <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, I think uh, Cars and Comrades podcast is going bankrupt, and it's uh, we're going to start a new podcast called Comrades and Cars. It's a totally <laughs> different financial institution. I'm not lying. I mean, hey, it's what all the rich people do. Yeah. I mean, we we have to pay Simple Country Lawyer like three hundred dollars per per visit, so I think that might be something to be addressed. That guy's yeah. rates are insane. I feel like that's pretty good for a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually going to have all of my like legal stuff done by him now. I feel like I should like say like legally I am not a lawyer. Don't please don't come to me for like law advice or anything. Oh, no, nothing no. I can say. Nothing I say is admissible in court. Don't None of us thought you were a lawyer, dude. We all thought okay. that, We all thought simple country lawyer was a lawyer. Yeah, well, he is a lawyer. Yeah, he's gone now. He is yeah, a lawyer. He's gone now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. N- nothing that I have said or said in a funny accent should ever be used in a court of law, please. Uh, well, that said, that's all I got. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back next time with maybe some more Unsafe at Any Speed, maybe something else. Pro- probably something else, and then we'll come back to Unsafe at Any Speed, I assume. Yeah. Although I do have to give this uh, book back to the library eventually. Fuck them. Renew it. Yeah. What's the library ever done for us? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, bye, everyone. Yeah, thanks bye. for listening. Bye. We're going to make you pay five to five, bitch. We're going to make you pay five to water, bitch. We're going to fight riches and not riches, but we're going to fight the solidarity. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight socialism. Amazingly, 
or not so amazingly, Cuba's crime rate is one of the lowest in the entire hemispheres. Oddly enough, it seems that when people have their basic human needs met, they're less likely to commit crimes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. The free market mythology, it argues, that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers, applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interest and wealth accumulation, will produce the best results for all of us. Through something called the invisible hand. <laughs> what are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you.